Yes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today, I actually know the date. It's April 7th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And I know the date because it's my birthday. And I received an obscene amount of love from our school kids, parishioners, you people. Uh, I'm the most blessed priest in the world. I also got cheesecake. This is cheesecake, and I want to be clear, cheesecake is pie. We've had this discussion, uh, and what I am speaking now is dogma. Anyway, I'm so glad to see you all here today, and I got to dive right in. I would love to do a long, silly intro like I always do, but we got some work to do. Because we've got, what do you call it? The thing where Jesus and God and stuff. A walk through through Triduum, right? Triduum is... Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, right? Oh, that's okay. If we have time, we'll do Holy Week, which includes Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But for now, because uh, your attitudes are a problem, I'm going to just start us on Holy Thursday and launch us through the three services that comprise Triduum. Why? Because this is it. This is the whole thing. This is why we are Christian. And uh, it's one of those things where most times we know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, but we often can unintentionally miss the point. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff. So I just can't wait to launch this missile. Uh, but part of Holy Week that we won't be covering today, but just as a heads up, is on Thursday morning, Holy Thursday morning, in our diocese, all the priests go down to Lansing with Uncle Earl, and we renew our vows. We bring our wives. Actually, some guys do. We have two married priests. They bring their wives. Uh, so the joke isn't as funny as I wanted, uh, but it's where we are. Um, and we renew our vows and um, recommit ourselves to God's, uh, to service of God and his people. Uh, and that's a pretty cool one. But be this as it may, Thursday night is what starts Triduum. So what I want to do is first tell you what is going on in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus uh, on each day, and then we'll look at the Mass. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So with Holy Thursday, what we start is called the Passion of Christ, or the Passion of the Christ. Just depends where you come from. And what do, why do we say passion? Because we're using a Greek word there. The Greek word is pash, okay? And what that refers to is a kind of pastry. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be cool if, seriously, it all went back to a pastry? And I had three donuts today, so I'm all about the pay. I've had, no, actually, I only had two donuts in my defense. I had two pieces of quiche, three hot dogs, five cups of coffee. You, you've received a lot of... Gifts of food. Yes. And I am full and tired and happy all at the same time. And the tired is because there's 800 pounds of food resting between here and here. Not so much here, but here. Okay. So why do we say the passion? Because it comes from the Greek word pash, which refers to a love that's so intense it hurts and it consumes. So it's always shown uh, with a candle, the idea that the flame of passion consumes the candle. And this is what we believe about Christ, his love for us so intense that it consumed him right to the point of death. That's why we say the passion. And it's where we get the word passion uh, in English. So uh, with that, the passion begins on Holy Thursday. And this is where we look at Jesus' spiritual suffering, which was very significant in this moment. And to be clear, spiritual suffering would be something he's not entirely accustomed to. Uh, For you and I, this is a pain we not only know, we usually don't even recognize it as pain. We just call it existence. Uh, But we'll start with the most important event, arguably, of Holy Thursday which is what we call the establishment of the Eucharist. That it was, what do you call it? Passover, the feast that we talked about. And remember how we said Jesus fulfills the old covenant Passover. And what was the Jewish Passover they were celebrating? When they ate unleavened bread, and if you'll excuse the phrase, quick foods. Because the whole idea was we got to be ready to bug out. 
right? We got to be ready to break away from slavery and be free. But before that happens, they had to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and then eat the meat of the lamb. And why the blood on the doorpost? To mark it off so that the angel of death would pass over their house. Okay, that's why it's called Passover. Um, So the Jews celebrate that every year. And what they believe is when they celebrate the Passover, they're not reenacting it and they're not remembering it. They're participating in it. It's an event outside of time. For us who are Catholic, what we believe is that that Last Supper, Jesus fulfilled the Passover and he took the bread and the wine and he changed them into his flesh and his blood. Now, this is hard to explain, and I'll do my best by using an image I've used with you before. When you think about what Jesus is pulling off here, uh, try to remember this. To everything that exists, there's a physical element that you can see and touch, and there's an invisible element that you can't see or touch, but that defines that thing. So for you, I can see and touch you. I won't because of virtus. Right? Those are the rules. Did anyone find that funny? No? Okay. But I can touch you. I can see you. I can perceive you as a, your exterior form. But as you know, that's not you. You could lose the ability, God forbid, to walk or to use your arms. You're still you. That which is you is invisible to me. It's your soul. Hey, it's what animates you. It's what unites all the functions of your body. And that soul, I can't touch or see until the kingdom of heaven. So to you, there's a physical element, your body. There's your invisible element, your soul. That is true for everything that exists. There is, and in this case, bread. There's the external form, which we can taste, touch, chew, feel, see. And then there's the invisible quality to it, the thing that makes it bread. What Jesus did was changed the invisible part. So it still looks and tastes like bread, but that which makes it bread, gone and replaced with God's flesh. Why? Well, the Passover, you eat the lamb. Is this this working? Same with the blood. You take the wine. You see the visible, right? Uh, If you like wine, you know, the way it tastes, whatever. But then there's the invisible, that thing that makes it wine. That changes into his blood. Now, why would Jesus do this? Well, because your body and soul. So by consuming that Eucharist, you're feeding your body and your soul. Jesus is always interested in you as a complete person. We don't separate body and soul. They are made for each other. They belong together. When, when Jesus returns for the second coming, your body will rise up from the earth and be restored and join to your soul again. This is his goal. So every sacrament we have does this. It feeds your body and it feeds your soul. It affects your body. It affects your soul. Why? Cause your body and soul, and God wants to be a part of all of you. St. Augustine, writing about the Eucharist, he said, you are what you eat. Receive what you are and become what you receive. That as we receive this Eucharist, we become more like him. So this insanely generous gift of our God uh, is what we call the Eucharist. And I'm covering it super quick. I think we even did like four shows just on the Eucharist in the past, and it wasn't enough. Um, The Eucharist is why you become a priest. The Eucharist is why you become Catholic. Uh, It's not just about ideological consent. It's not just about praying Mass right. It's not just about feeding the poor. All of those things I just said, those are symptoms. Right? Those are symptoms of what happens when we take God into us, body and soul. Okay? And that's why we show such reverence for the Eucharist. Great reverence. So he gave that gift to the disciples, which they then pass on to us because he told them to. And then he did another thing. He washed the feet of his disciples. And to me, this is almost as awe-inspiring as the Eucharist. God, my dog is growling. My dog hates feet washing. 
That's what this is about. <laughs> yeah, he's got a feet thing. He got it from me. Do you hear him? Yeah, do you hear how fierce he sounds? And if he gets up there to the door to whoever's there, he'll lick them. Is he still growling? No, he's coming back. Okay. Oh, he loves Father Lay. Yeah. Uh, so I want you to think about what would happen. Let's see. Well, who do you love? Who do you revere? What would happen if Pope Francis walked in your house with a bucket of water, no cameras, a bucket of water, a towel, and then sit down and wash your feet. How would you feel about that? You know? How would you feel about that? What if Queen Elizabeth, watching your house, no cameras, no press, I'm here to wash your feet. Um, well, now it's, it's God. God is doing this awful job. If you look in the uh, book of <clears throat> in the Old Testament, when it's giving the laws that Jews have to live by, it says a Jew can't make a Jewish slave wash their feet. That's how low of a job this was, right? That if you have a Jewish slave, you can't make him wash your feet. That's how low of a job this was. So who washed their feet? God. And Jesus said to his disciples, right? You know how it is with the rulers of the Gentiles. Their leaders lorded over their little ones and they make their power felt. It can't be like that among you. Whoever wishes to be greatest among you must serve like a slave and give his life as a ransom. You know who I am. He tells them, you know who I am and you see what I'm doing, then how much more should you do this? And I think that's amazing. Uh, I can't even. And it was so horrified, Peter. You may remember that when Jesus came to Peter, Peter was like, oh, no, I know who you are. You're never going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, but if I don't, then you can't have life with me. And I love Peter's response. You remember this? He says, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Doesn't he have a beautiful, I love his beautiful heart. But then Jesus tells him, look, those who have, uh, those who've bathed, they don't need to be clean. And Jesus' point is what? Uh, it's coming. But in the meantime, it's Peter's very dependence on God. That's the key. He washed Judas's feet. Judas had at that point sold him for 30 pieces of silver and was just waiting to turn him in. He had already told Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny you even know me three times. He had told the other disciples, quote, you are all going to run away and leave me very much alone. And he washed their feet. Man. Also on Holy Thursday, then it says after that meal, they headed off to the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane is an important place, right? Or the Garden of Olives, where you can get unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> and salad. And salad. Why would you want unlimited salad? It's like, here are unlimited things everybody hates. <laughs> like, Dad got a salad. Did you see this salad a few days ago? He got a salad, and I couldn't see the lettuce. It was bacon. Seriously, I have a picture of this. It was just this pile of bacon, and I saw like one green leaf sticking out of it. And he said, I don't know what a chopped salad is, but I like them. Because whatever that was, that's a chopped salad. I didn't see a vegetable. I just saw ranch dressing and bacon. And I'm like, yes, please. So if it's unlimited that, I'm in. Garden of Gethsemane was a place where people went to mourn. You may remember way back, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was born, King David's son tried to kill him. And, it, and David loved this son. This was Absalom. He, he called his favorite son. But Absalom liked his dad, but he loved himself. And when he tried to kill his dad, and when he, he raped his dad's concubines, I mean, this kid, yikes. David didn't raise up an army because he didn't want to kill his boy. He ran away. And it says he ran to the Garden of Gethsemane and he cried. Um, Jesus went there. It's a place of mourning and it's a place of hope. Why? Because it's olive trees there. If you plant an olive tree, do you know about this? This is crazy. Do you know about this, Big Um, If you plant an olive tree, it takes 70 years to bear fruit. Okay? You never plant olive trees for you. You plant them for your grandchildren. Okay? But once that first olive pops out, that tree will never die. 
it'll never ever stop making olives and and what'll happen is just like me it'll get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and then all of a sudden one day the tree will just collapse and there is a tree that's been growing for 70 years up the middle of it bearing fruit once it starts bearing fruit it never stops isn't this incredible so you can see what a sign of hope that would be for Jews, for religious Jews like Jesus, to get there and go, yeah, it's falling apart, but something new is coming. And it, ah. But while he was there, this is where in many ways the passion begins because Jesus begins to feel something he's never felt before, guilt. He is taking on himself every bit of guilt and sin that ever had happened or ever will happen. I don't remember who gave me this image, but it's recent. I just, I want to say Father John Ricardo, but I can't say it for sure. But he said, it's a terrible image, but think of a car accident, right? You're driving along fast and you hit something and you jerk all the way forward, you jerk all the way back, and then you're in the middle. He said, Jesus did that in time. He shot all the way forward, collected all guilt and sin, because he's not limited by time, linear time. And he went all the way back and collected it all and came to the present moment coated in filth, coated in darkness and sin. This fulfills in the Old Testament. You may remember before the temple was built, how did they get their sins taken care of? Well, they brought a lamb in to the middle of the camp and everyone put their hands on the lamb and that was putting their sin on it. They would tell the lamb their sins or they did some sort of ritual to move my sin from me to the lamb or the goat, or the goat actually. And then what did they do? Sent it out to die. Because that thing was disgusting to them. Now it's covered in filth. That's where you get the word scapegoat, right? It was God, take this goat and all of our sins on it and get it out of here. Jesus was becoming the scapegoat. He was collecting all the guilt, all the sin. Why? Because he knew he was going to die, and he wanted to take our sin with him to the grave. And so scripture says he moaned, he groaned, he rolled on the ground, he cried, he sweated blood. It just never, this was guilt. This was horror. And it says in the book of, well, if you get a chance, Isaiah 50. Try Isaiah 53. I think I'm saying it right. Um, it's worth your time. I should have got this beforehand. But what he was experiencing was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Okay, chapter 53. Yeah, ready? And I'm going to skip around some verses, okay? But this is Isaiah 53. Who would believe what we've heard? He grew up like a sapling before God, like a shoot from the parched earth. There was no stately bearing about him to make us look at him and nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. Yet it was our infirmities that he bore, our sufferings he endured. We thought of him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our sins. Upon him was laid the chastisement that makes us whole. By his stripes we are healed. We had all gone astray like sheep following his own way, but the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. Though he was harshly treated, he submitted and opened not his mouth. Oppressed and condemned, he was taken away, and who would have thought any more of him? A grave was assigned him among the wicked, a burial place among evildoers, even though he had done no wrong no spo nor spoken any falsehood. But if he gives his life as an offering for sin, he shall see his descendants in a long life and the will of God will be accomplished through him. Because of his pain, he shall see the light and fullness of days and through his suffering, he will justify many because he will bear their guilt. That's Isaiah 53. And that's what he did. He was grabbing everything that separates us from God so that he could kill it. Um, Saint um, Mushma said, Saint Gregory something, said he had to be human so that he could take on sin. We're good at that. 
he had to be God so he could beat it. He was fully human, fully God. So this is what we remember on Holy Thursday, those events that I just described to you. And that Holy Thursday ends with Jesus being betrayed and arrested. His friend Judas, who he lived with for three years, uh, came to him in the garden, hail rabbi, and gave him a kiss on the cheek. Uh, uh, what do you say? A, a, that's how you greeted people. Um, and uh, who was it? Uh, I think I want to say Michael Carb, but don't quote me where he wrote, why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? And why did he use a kiss? That's not what a kiss is for, right? Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend can get that close to cause so very much pain. That his friend sold him for the price of a common criminal. It's a bounty. 30 pieces of silver was the established law for turning in a criminal. <clears throat> uh, they all ran away, right? Uh, one of the disciples, it says, uh, when they started to get arrested, they all ran away. One of them, they grabbed his cloak and he ripped off his own cloak and ran away naked rather than get caught with Jesus. He was completely abandoned and alone covered with sin and let off in chains. So when we celebrate Holy Thursday together, we focus on the Eucharist in a way we're supposed to, of course, at every Mass, but this is a particular focus on the Eucharist and on the washing of feet. Um, <clears throat> this is where the priest washes the feet of parishioners. It's, um, it's symbolic, but it's also real, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um, we wash the feet of the people we're supposed to be serving. And it, it's interesting. I, I got into a discussion with a group of priests, and I lost. I, I was basically alone on this. But they're not washing feet uh, this year because, honestly, I think whatever their theological justification, justification, it goes back to this. They interpret their job as CEO. And they might say servant, but they mean dictator. For me, I don't like touching feet. I don't like people touching my feet. The thought of it unnerves me. It really does. But I make sure I do it. And it kills me, right? My knees hurt. It's, it's tough to do, but it's so important. And, and, and I watched Pope John Paul II. I watched Pope Benedict. And I watched Pope Francis all go to prisons and wash prisoners' feet. Um... And man, I'm no God, right? Me washing feet doesn't mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. Um, because it reminds me this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I hope I'm doing it well. Yeah. Uh, we also have a blessing of oils, but I'm going to kind of forego that because that's more connected to the earlier Holy Thursday, the thing we call Chrism Mass. But here's the key then. At the end of the night, after we receive communion, and you'll notice your priest is going to consecrate a lot more communion than you would think he needs. Well, that's because that's got to last three days, kind of. Um, we're not really allowed to take people communion on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, or Easter Saturday, Holy Vigil Saturday. You can in case of sickness or death. But other than that, nope. Uh, so then Holy Thursday ends with the priest taking all the extra hosts. And if you can, you know, some churches I've been at, we didn't have property for it. But you're supposed to process them to walk from the church to another place where you, quote, repose the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, if you can set it up like a garden, great. If not, it's fine. But the whole idea is you are leaving the Last Supper and going to the garden. And then at midnight, depending on your church, we close the garden. Okay. Holy, that's Holy Thursday. Good Friday is a day of fasting and sorrow. Because what are we doing here? Um, Jesus is now um, in jail, as it were, and awaiting execution. Uh, it is Good Friday where we commemorate these events, that Jesus was then um, arrested and put in jail. And in terms of the timeline, 
if you've ever done the math, you're like, wait a minute. Did it happen Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I Probably not. Um, that's just how they told stories back then. It would have taken a while to assemble the Sanhedrin, right? There's no phones. There's no cars. Uh, people have to run door to door and go wake these guys up because it was the dead of the night. And then they have to do all the ritual bathing, put on all their special clothes, and then walk all the way. I, this would have taken a while that he set in jail. And he has a first, a religious trial. For the Jews, this was common, and the Romans gave them that power. Okay, They were the only people, in fact, that the Romans gave that power to. You can have religious trials. Um, we can get into why later. But the Romans... The short version, the Romans were extremely impressed with how old Judaism was. That's it. I guess that's the quickest way to put it. They were unbelievably impressed with the ancientness of this religion. And so they gave them a ton of leeway. But here was the problem for the Jews. The problem, they couldn't execute anyone. <laughs> they could find them guilty of a religious crime. And then that's it. They can't inflict punishment. Um, and they would never be allowed to punish a Roman citizen. So this trial was to establish Jesus' guilt so that they could pursue a secular punishment. And they find him guilty. They find Jesus guilty of claiming to be the son of God, uh, which, spoiler, he was. Uh, it was also during this time that Peter denied knowing him three times. Uh, Peter was uh, sitting by a charcoal fire, and first they recognize his accent, right? You're from Galilee. What are you doing here? Uh, uh, all these kinds of things come to bear. People recognize him. One person that starts after him is related to a guy Peter attacked earlier in the night. Uh, and three times Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is, let alone his, his friend. Um, Jesus is then led to a secular trial um, uh, by Pontius Pilate. And in that trial, Pilate's confused by it all. Um, and not, again, I think I told you this yesterday, don't think highly of Pilate. It's not like he had some beautiful thing going where, no, I don't want to kill him. Uh, Pilate was a classic Roman. Don't kill people because of God. Who gives a crap, right? He's a relativist. He doesn't care that you have a different God or that you say you're God. He could care less. Uh, but he was also deeply religious in the way pagans can be, um, meaning... Uh, honor the gods. Don't hurt gods. Leave them alone. Um, so it was a mess for him. But again, not because he's good. Pilate was a bad person that I know of. He is the only Roman governor removed from his post for brutality. Okay. The Romans didn't mind brutality at all. Uh, he was so bad that they removed him for brutality and put him in Jerusalem, which they felt could use a little brutality. Uh, the year before Jesus died, Pilate crucified over 3,000 Jews uh, in Jerusalem. So uh, Pilate doesn't know what to do with them, sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't know what to do with him, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate has him scourged. Uh, Passion of the Christ gives you a good look at scourging. Um, it was a long brutal process with a device called a cat of nine tails, uh, a, a kind of a handle with nine leather straps that they put little chunks of metal in, fish hooks, pottery shards, uh, whatever they could. And the whole idea was the whip hitting you catches and then you pull. And at certain points, you're giving them blood clotting because you don't want to kill them uh, yet. Uh, and you wrap them in white cloth to try to have everything clot a bit and then go at it again. Uh, 39 lashes um, was the sentence that was considered a death sentence, but Jesus survived, okay. which some people did. Uh, put a crown of thorns on his head, Galilean thorns about the size of my pinky, if you've ever seen them. And uh, Pilate then brings him out to the crowd. If you ever go to the church there, it's called Ecce Homo, which is Latin for behold the man. And there's a statue of Pilate holding Jesus up by the hair, right? With his crown of thorns just shredded and saying, behold the man. What do you want me to do? And they say, crucify him. So he sends him off. Uh, Jesus would have walked about two miles 
uh, with either the cross or the cross beam. We don't really know which. It's more likely a cross beam, right? One big beam that they tie his hands on and, and you have to go sideways. The streets aren't that, they're still super narrow. Um, you can't go sideways most places, or can't go straight on. You turn sideways and he falls three times and a man named Simon the Cyrene, uh, Cyrenian, excuse me, comes and helps him <clears throat> carry the cross. Uh, probably would have done it by just dragging him, right? Just grab one end of the cross and walk backward and try to drag him. It's really narrow streets. And when they get there, uh, you pop their shoulders out of socket and drive the nails into the wrist and tie it so they can't pull back in. And then you pop their hip out of socket, drive the nails through the feet. And all this just makes it really hard to breathe. The only way you can breathe is to stand on your tippy toes while crucified. And then that hurts uh, because of the pressure on your feet and your blown out hip. It was awful. But Romans could leave you there for days. Um, and they would leave you there, so you died of exposure or suffocation. But Jesus had been tortured, too, um, so he died that day. Um, and to ensure he was dead, they puncture um, his side and see water and blood, so his, the pericardial sac around his heart had given out. Okay? He drowned, in a sense. Um, this whole chain of events was something that happened to other people, too. Not just Jesus. Scourging and crucifixion, that's rare. That's really rare. Um, Romans usually wouldn't do that. <clears throat> Not out of any goodness, <clears throat> but because to crucify someone was for show. It was to discourage rebellion, and you needed them hanging there for a long time. Right, for people to get the message, as it were. But all of this was the breath of human experience, right? Uh, these are all things we experience, physical pains. Yeah, that's a daily part of our lives. Um, having to be carried, that's a part of being human. Um, being abandoned, betrayed, scorned, lied about, lied to, this is all part of our life. And Jesus entered it, right? He didn't take it away. Remember, we just talked about this with the three men in the fire, right? Remember that, the, the reading at Mass a few days ago, where three men are thrown in the fire for doing the right thing? Jesus doesn't put out the fire. He walks in it with them. That's classic God. I'm not going to take it away. Pain is the only way to grow. I'm going to do it with you. And that was so much of the passion and the death was this idea, but the, the key thing to keep in mind is he has a goal, and it's to die, because then our sin dies with him. He is covered in it, and the moment he died, all of your sin and guilt died. All of it is dead. It has no power over you now unless you give it power, but it's dead. And when you go to confession, you and I are standing at the foot of the cross together with Mary, and he's telling us, it's gone now. Be free. It is extremely challenging to wrap our brains around that kind of love. Um, that even while we were killing him, he was making excuses for us. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And look at everything he said, the seven last words of Christ. Six of them are about us or about someone else. Uh, only one was him expressing need. What? I thirst. I'm thirsty. Right? Otherwise, it's take care of mom. Mom, take care of him. It's reassuring the, the repentant thief. You're going to be with me in heaven today. It's telling God to forgive those killing him. I mean, look at what he said. It was all about other people. While he's being tortured to death, he's still looking to free others. Isn't this incredible? On Friday, we mourn. It's a day of silence. It's a day of sorrow. We kiss the cross because we're so grateful, or we venerate it, whatever way you want to. You bow, you hug it, you kiss it, whatever it takes. Some way of saying, this is the worst things human made, humans made, right? A cross. It is an awful way to go. And he made it beautiful. That's how beautiful he is.
He took the worst thing humans can do, deicide, we killed God. He took the worst thing we can make, a cross, and he made them beautiful. That's how beautiful he is. And if that was the end, we'd worship him forever, right? The kind of love that would compel such a sacrifice play. But of course, it's not the end. Right? We get to then all day Saturday, we are silent. We refrain from meat. We keep things simple. We think about the Lord as much as we can. And then after sunset on Saturday, we gather in the darkness outside and we light one flame, right? Just one whole universe of darkness, one flame, and it's enough. We can all see it. It's an incredible thing to think about, right? And that's very intentional on the church's part. One flame. And what do we call that flame? The Paschal candle, the Pash candle, the, the suffering. We're remembering he got consumed. He got consumed till there was nothing left. Um, and we light that thing. And it guides us then from the darkness outside into the church. Okay, we follow that light. We're like spiritual moths, right? Following that light, the darkness of the tomb. And, and then the church is filled with little lights because what do we all do? Take our little candles and stick them to the big one. One light pulling all these flames, but it never gets dimmer. Instead, everything gets lighter. And we sit and it's dark, but it's not dark because there's a million little flames of light all around. And we hear the words of the Old Testament. We hear the stories of God planting the seeds. I'm coming to your rescue. I'm coming to your rescue. Right? We hear Ezekiel. We hear all these amazing stories where God is setting the stage. And we didn't know it when it was happening. We had no idea. But he did. Everything that happened was to point us toward this moment where he came out of the grave. So he put our human nature to death. He put the things that hurt our human nature to death. And then he took that human nature of ours to heaven. And so now we can go to heaven he opened heaven to humans because he died like we die and he rose and we will rise like he rises. He took the worst thing about being human and made it the best thing. And in Easter Vigil, then, we celebrate all of that through baptizing people who haven't been baptized, through confirming people who were baptized but never finished or were baptized in a different Christian tradition than us. And we celebrate the Eucharist together, and then we go nuts for seven weeks. Right? Lent is six week, Easter seven. Right? Why? Easter's better. Yeah? It's celebration. Um, that's the snapshot of those days, right? And what we'll do is real quick, I think we have time, look at post-resurrection, because that tells us some things, huh? That tells us some big things. How are we doing so far? Yeah, questions, comments, no? Okay, should we hit the questions? Let's see. Did the Passover remain open or unfinished until Christ drank the wine on the cross? No, uh, the Passover was finished when he walked out of that upper room with his disciples? Good question. Did Father Joe say we don't eat meat on Holy Saturday? Yes. We, do, we refrain from meat on Good Friday. Well, I don't know if we have to on Holy Saturday. Do you know? I'll, I'll look it up real quick. Um, um, oh, you're going to check? Oh, thank you. Uh, so we're going to double check. Uh, what does it mean when it says, by his stripes we are healed? Oh, the, 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 his back, guys, the, the tearing across his back. Um, that's why they called it the cat of nine tails. Right? Yeah, Romans were awful, right? But the stripes of a tiger, the stripes of a, huh? That, that's the last question. For oh, me. okay. Um, okay, so I think what we'll do then, unless you have more, we're just going to quick kind of jump ahead to the resurrection because the resurrection events we're going to talk about will help us make more sense of what happened 
right? All these horrors that Jesus went through. Um, and, uh, oh, you know what? Catholics are permitted to eat. Yeah, you can eat meat on it's Holy not Saturday. It's obligatory, but it says some, many choose to fast and abstain. Anyway, this is final spiritual. Okay, thank you. So uh, you both hit me at the same time, a canon lawyer and my lovely research assistant. You're the prettiest research assistant. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'll come to yeah. every day. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're beating John Polarski, just so you know. Yeah. I'm not even offended by me. No. <laughs> but when we look at the resurrection, I want us to check out two key stories, okay, if I may. Uh, first is when um, Mary goes to the garden. And you might say, well, which Mary? I don't know. The Bible's never clear on that. And again, for the weirdest reason, right? Because they didn't think people who didn't know these people would ever read it. Right? You know what I mean? It's really weird to think of. When you think of... Uh, like there's a passage in the, in the Gospels where it says this line, right? Blind Bartimaeus, comma, the son of Timaeus. And it's the only time they do this in the whole New Testament that I know of. Because here's what's weird, okay? Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, <laughs> right? So they're saying blind Bartimaeus, blind son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. You know, like. Yeah, we get that the first time. Yeah. Why would they do that? Because they need to make clear to the people. I, I know this sounds funny. No, that's the guy you know. He's not blind anymore. He used to be blind. Do you get me? It, it, there's all these weird little things in the New Testament where you have to remember, they're writing to people who know the folks involved or who could meet them. The only one dead and gone at this point, and not really gone, is Jesus. Everybody else was still alive. James wasn't killed till, James was the first disciple killed about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, right? So they all know each other. And I know that sounds wacky, but there's 50 Marys. Every mom named their daughter Miriam. Every dad named their boy Simon uh, or Judas because of the great generals that that, uh, liberated them from the Greeks 100 years before Jesus was born. It's just how it worked back then. Uh, but be this as it may. Sorry, side note. So which Mary? Yeah, I don't know. You don't know either. Uh, but what we know is Mary uh, went to Jesus' tomb. And why? She's delivering spices. And again, remember we talked about this yesterday. you got to cover the decomposing smell. Uh, but what she noticed was the stone was rolled away. And there was a dude there, <laughs> right? And the dude says... Who are you looking for? And this whole conversation ensues where Mary's clearly a little bit off, right? As any of us would be. She kind of like, where did you take him? <laughs> she thinks, oh, this is a gardener. And he took that guy. He took Jesus' body away. And then finally it says, now this was, this was Jesus. But he looked so different in his resurrected body. She didn't know. And if you've ever been crying really hard and you look at someone and you can't quite, that's where she is. So what breaks the spell? I love this. Jesus says, Mary. (laughs) He just says her name. Isn't that tight? She can't see. She's crying too hard and he looks different. So what does he do? Mary. And she cries out, Rabboni, teacher. It's an affectionate way to say teacher. And... Jesus says, don't touch me. I I haven't ascended to my father. She caught him coming out. I do love that. That is so tight, isn't it? I mean, what timing? I mean, you got a 30 second window where the son of God leaves the tomb to go to heaven. And she's like, wait, what are you doing? She's had to be a mom. She did. Whoever, whichever Mary this was, this was a mom. She's like, what are you doing? Can't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father, but go back and tell the brothers that I, I love this. I'm going back to my dad and their dad, right? Holy crap. By taking our nature to heaven, he changes everything. He changes the relationship, right? He's removed sin and death. No problem. I'm God. Easy. Now he's going to take our nature back home. She goes back, and of course, they don't believe her. Chicks, right? That's their answer. If you look at it, their discussion, yeah. Oh, Mary, I'm really glad. That's great for you. Uh, but Peter and John, Jesus' two faves, are like, peace out. Boom, they run to the tomb. John's younger gets there first. 
doesn't go in the tomb, probably out of respect for Peter. Peter gets in there and sees, in his words, everything that she had told them. He doesn't go into detail, but John doesn't go into detail in saying what Peter saw, but clearly Peter saw something because it says he found things to be just as she said. Okay. So that's one. And, and I think that's important for us who cry uh, that um, we got to remember we're not always seeing things entirely clearly. And we just need to listen for his voice. Right. Listen for his voice. Too often when I'm in pain, I'm looking for him instead of listening for him. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. I find this a lot in my life. I get hurt and I start looking for Jesus instead of listening for Jesus. How are we doing time? Good. Okay. I'll try to go as quick as I can on this. Are people hanging in there? Yes. Okay. What? We're going to do a birthday cake soon, so... Oh, I get a birthday cake? Yeah. Well, that's my favorite resurrection event. <laughs> so maybe I'll wait then. I was going to cover the Emmaus walk, which is one of my favorite stories, but whatever. Whatever. Let's make it about cake. Doesn't it, isn't it cool that I get to... What? And salad. And salad with bacon. Yeah, so here's the cool thing. Ready for this? I've never had this before. I'm going to sacrifice by eating cake. I don't get to tell my favorite story, we but instead I have to eat cake. I'm gonna widen it out though, and you to, for my biceps. No, or? I want you to show what the second graders gave you today. Oh, I know. Okay, can you see both? Can they see both? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay, so our teachers for second grade, which is now my favorite grade, it was the eighth graders, but they didn't come through. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did. Yeah, and the key kids to winning the competition is food. Chocolate. Chocolate yeah. and hot dogs. Yeah. Not chocolate, hot dogs. Although I would try those. Um, so the teacher said, I said to the kids, what are the reasons why Father Joe is the best priest ever? With all apologies to St. John Vianney. Uh, and then they list 10 of them. And then over here, the second grade teacher said, what things do you want Father Joe to get for his birthday? And then they list them here. Right. And these are also very sweet. They are. I am so blessed. My favorite one. One kid, their birthday wish for Father Joe is to know that your mom is so proud of you and smiling down from heaven. Isn't that cool? Okay, read the one right below it, though. That's everybody. We think, oh, QC, good Lord. QC will appreciate it. Okay, I didn't see that one. Was this your influence? No, it wasn't, I swear. But it we think you should get a free massage and spa day. Doesn't that involve, like, eating salad? I just know one second grader is watching QC. Yeah, there we go. That's true. Uh, take your dad someplace special. Uh, I like that one. Yeah, prison. Prison is special. Yeah. Uh, what was one on here? Oh, uh, we hope the Detroit Tigers can win a game just for you. Yay. Um, meet friends and at a coffee shop and just relax. Excellent. We wish you could win the lottery so you can go see the Pope. We think you should go to movies and get a big tub of popcorn. Yes. Our wish is for Marius to live a long time. He has. Uh, huge chocolate cakes, favorite treats, hot dog stand with Father Lay. Yay. Yeah. And then this, I don't know, it feels self-serving to read this. No, read but, it. Read but, it. Read it's it please. It's okay. Awesome. Here's the top 10 reasons that Father Joe is the best priest ever. Uh, 10, he teaches us things we didn't know before. Nine, he helps us make our sacraments. Eight, he loves Marius and takes great care of him. Seven, he has a hot dog named after him. Uh, six, he is very funny and he loves us. Oh, my Lord. Give me. Give me. I mean. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear father. Happy birthday to me. Let's see, can I do it by, can I shake him? No. Oh, hey, hey. Almost. Wait, I almost got it. Wait, ready? Oh, two survivors. Do it again. All right, now the dog's in the way. All right, we're going to try again. Ready? We're going to go right. Oh, we're down to one. 
Whoa. Lone survivor. Yay! Yay. Thank you. Your daughter's a gymnast, right? Watch me stick the landing. <laughs> okay, that's oh Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is mine. Yes. This is not yours. It's no. not yours. It's not yours. It's Except not yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. Oh, I know. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks okay. for always watching the show. We and just have to finish the top five, the last five reasons. Come on. Oh, okay. Number five more. <laughs> Number five. I do like this one. He has a stylish hairdo. Yes. I have a stylish hairdo. <laughs> Uh, four, he's the number one fan of the Tigers, MSU, and coffee. Yay. Fact, fact, fact. Three, he makes maths easy to understand. Yes. Two, his homilies rock. Yay. Uh, one, he is crazy about Jesus and us. Oh, I love they, you guys. They drew a portrait of you. Yes, they drew a picture. That's actually very close. Yes, yeah, see, look. Hold on, we'll focus it. Yes. Yeah, oh, wait, I'm smiling. <laughs> so thank you guys for tuning in thanks for being here for my birthday uh i'm so very blessed and uh tune in and dial in and all that are we tomorrow we are tomorrow people yes. and so let's say a real quick prayer huh because i want my cake Yes. And I want you guys to watch me eat it. How privileged are you? <laughs> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus, thank you for mom and dad who gave me life and taught me how to live. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters. And thank you that I get to be the priest here uh, at Holy Family and St. Mark. I ask that you please bless us as we enter this holiest of weeks. Uh, fill our hearts with gratitude, Lord, for what you've done for us so that we never forget what it's like to be rescued. For all those people we worry about because we love them so much and all of those situations in our lives that we fret about, we give them all to you, Lord. And we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you guys, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow at noon when we celebrate my 52nd birthday, day two. Oh, <laughs> Is it over? No, it's never over.